So in many ways, as I said, every day is resurrection day. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's not just a one day a year, but we need his power, his presence in us every single day. And we have that because he is not dead, but he is alive. He is risen. But this is a special moment for us just to celebrate that fact that Jesus is alive. Uh, We're going to come back to John 15, but if you want to turn over a couple of pages to John 21, in the days after Jesus' resurrection, he had a very special encounter with Peter. And it says there in verse 15 of John chapter 21, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. And then two other times, Jesus asks Peter again, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Here is the risen Christ dealing head on with all Peter's shame and need that he was feeling in those days following his recent denial of Jesus, the fearfulness that had crowded round him in those days after Jesus was born, uh, risen from the grave. And Jesus is getting to the very heart of the issue with Peter, that which will set him back on the path forward for God into many challenging, incredible years. Do you love me is the key issue in that moment between Jesus and Peter. And in a sense for us today, now that we have finished breakfast, just as it says there in verse 15, what a spread that was, right? I know that Dan is going to recognize that properly at the end of our service, but I'll tell you what, what an amazing uh, breakfast spread through there. Uh, now that we have finished breakfast, I think God would come and ask us the same question that Jesus asked Peter after they had finished breakfast. Do you love me? This is at the very heart of our message today. We are coming to the end this Easter Sunday morning of our series looking through the fruit of the Spirit. I hope you've Uh, found it to be helpful. I've certainly found it encouraging and and challenging just to take a pause. You know, quite often when we think of the fruit of the Spirit, we might rattle them off, kind of hope, I said this before, I confessed this before, that you're kind of hoping halfway through that you you can remember them all and that you get them in the right order. Uh, We can can roll them off our tongue really quickly. And I I found it really encouraging and challenging just to to slow down and look at one of these uh, one by one. These are basically marks of life in God that we should see in our lives. And it's not an exhaustive list. Galatians 5 is not trying to be, it's not trying to reference everything that we're called to be as followers of Jesus, but taken together, what a beautiful calling for us as followers of Jesus. And we are ending our series today Rather curiously, I have to admit, on the very first of the fruit of the Spirit mentioned in Galatians 5. So let's see if you can get it together. Say after me, the fruit of the Spirit is? Love. Love. I won't ask you to name the rest of them. Uh, That might get messy, but that is exactly right. The fruit of the Spirit is love. The result of you knowing the power of the Holy Spirit in your life is that you will live in and live 
without love. Now, you know, you've got to sympathize with me for a minute here because if you're a pastor and you're trying to think of where on earth you go in the Bible to speak about love, that's pretty challenging because this is a big book and a lot of it is about God's love. Really, all of it is about God's love for us. And uh, where do you go then to start? Well, I, I, I've gone to John chapter 15 for a few reasons. Firstly, uh, you may remember I shared right at the start of this series of a picture that one of the missionaries in the church shared shared with us, uh, that God had put John 15 on his heart, and he shared with us that encouragement to stay rooted in Jesus. And that has been on my mind throughout this series. In fact, I said in sermon number one on this series that pretty much every conclusion of the sermon, uh, whatever fruit we were talking about was going to be, stay rooted in Jesus. Stay rooted in Jesus. Come back to Jesus. That's been on my mind through this whole time. So I wanted to come back to John chapter 15. Secondly, because John is an obvious place to go regarding the topic of love. Do you know that John mentions love more frequently in his writing than any other New Testament writer. So um, let me share some numbers with you. Got any numbers geeks among us? Anyone willing to be in a numbers geek? Just Steve and Josh. Come on, Josh. Loud and proud. Yeah, numbers geek. So um, here, here, here's some numbers for you, right? And I have to tell you, I did not just find this in an article. I got my calculator out and figured these out myself, right? So you ready? Paul, you're welcome, guys. You just, just a sign of my love for you, right? Paul mentions love on average once every 18.82 verses. That's quite a lot, right? Whereas John mentions love, love once every 17.9 verses. <laughs> now you say, that's not really a very, very significant difference. But here's the thing. If you take out the book of Revelation, which is reasonable to do that, because that's a very unique genre of scripture, a sort of apocalyptic book at the end. If you take Revelation out, then John mentions love once every 12.8 verses. That is significant. So there's, are you impressed by those numbers? No, you're not at all, are you? <laughs> Let's move on. There's another reason. Billy's not loving the number game at all. Uh, Billy, I'm sorry it wasn't one in seven verses. That would have made you happy. That would have made you happy. There's another reason. Here's the final reason why we're coming to John is, is because it's a little taster for us of what is coming. So you maybe saw in the, uh, the notices video that Scott put together uh, that as of next Sunday, we're starting a little three-week mini-series uh, on, on gender. And then alongside that, we're inviting you to, to study a book called Embodied, uh, which is going to dive much deeper. Obviously, in three sermons, we're not diving deep into issues of transgender and all that stuff, but we are going to touch on those things in three sermons. But alongside that, we want to invite you to come and wrestle and, and uh, ponder some of these things together. And what does it mean to live faithfully in this culture that we're living in with these issues uh, and to do that in a caring and loving way uh, with those around about us? What does that look like? So that's, that's where we're going for the next three series. And then after that, from the 22nd of May, we're diving into a new sermon series through John's Gospel. And uh, we're just going a passage at a time. I have no idea how long it'll take us. I charted out this sort of schedule through to uh, the, the, the beginning of Advent, and I think it took us to the end of John chapter 9. So uh, we may be some time in John, and I hope you're fired up about that. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and I just thought, well, okay, for all those reasons, uh, we'll, we'll park it here in John chapter 15. What I want to share with you today is the context the environment in which we need to live that will enable this fruit of love 
to grow in our lives. So this passage, it's actually very clear what Jesus wants for us as his followers. I do encourage you to follow along. Um, What Jesus is getting at in this passage is he wants us to bear fruit for him. You just see it again and again. You see it in verse 2, you see it in verse 4, you see it in verse 5. And then in verse 8, Jesus says it a bit more clearly, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So it's, it's a proof, it's, it's a mark of what it means to follow Jesus, that you bear fruit. Some of these things that we've been thinking about. He says even more clearly in verse 16, says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. Why? That you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that's pretty clear. And it's also clear that Jesus expects that fruit in the life of a follower of his to look like love that comes from us to other people. So look at verse 12. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. And then to the end of this little passage, look at verse 17. These things I command you. All of this I'm saying to bear fruit, to love one another. I'm commanding you to do that so that you will love one another. So we get a sense there of, of what Jesus is after in this passage. But these commands to love one another are not sort of abstract, disconnected commands. Jesus soaks them in the most wonderful context in John chapter 15. And it's that context that I want us to ponder in the time that we have left. If you want to see the fruit of love grow in your life, then understand these things. Soak in these things. Rest in these realities. The first one is to soak in the reality of the love of God shared with us. Look at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, Jesus says, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Oh God, I just pray in this moment that you would enable us by the power of your spirit just to tune in now to your heart of love for us. Help us see the wonder and the majesty of your heart for us here. Help us put aside distractions, God. And help us rest and wonder at this reality. And in that, God, bring change into our lives, I pray. Amen. Did you hear it, verse 9? Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved loved you. I mean, that's too much for us to get our heads around, right? Matthew Henry, uh, the famous 17th century Bible commentator, refers to this as, quote, a strange expression of the condescending grace of Christ, exclamation mark. And I got to tell you, 17th century Bible commentators do not throw away their exclamation points. But he says, this is a strange expression 
of the condescending. When he uses condescending, he doesn't mean it in a negative way the way that we often use that word. He just means that the grace of Jesus always comes from that place of his complete superiority that Jesus has over us. His grace comes down to us from that position, high and lifted up over us. And given that context, Henry says that this John 15 verse 9 is a strange expression of the amazing grace of God. Think for a moment of how the Father has loved Jesus the Son for all of eternity in infinite perfection, complete perfection of beauty and balance and intensity and purity. The infinitely loving and giving Father in heaven pouring out affection on the infinitely pure and praiseworthy and precious Son of God. This is how the Father loves the Son. And Jesus is saying that it's in that way that Jesus loves his followers. This is how Jesus loves any who would come to him, even any of us who would come today, how we need to remind ourselves of the wonderful reality of God's love for us. Listen to how another old school commentator comments on these verses. This, this time we've got a Scottish Baptist uh, from the 19th century, Alexander McLaren. He says, what shall we say about these mysterious and profound first words of this verse? They carry us into the very depths of divinity and suggest for us that wonderful analogy between the relation of the Father to the Son and that of the Son to his disciples, which appears over and over again in the solemnities of these last hours and last words of Jesus. Christ claims to be able to love like God as deeply, as purely, as fully, as eternally, and with all the unnameable perfectnesses which must belong to the divine affection, does Christ declare that he loves us. So if you want to see the fruit of the Spirit, love, grow in your life, we have to understand the nature of this love. And we have to understand that it's rooted in who God is. The very relationship between God the Father and the Son. We have to understand the scope of this love. That it is shared not just between Father and Son, but mystery of mysteries and joy of joys. In the same way it comes from the Son to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. You're loved. You're loved. As we understand and embrace that, love will grow in us. Okay, secondly... You want to see love grow in your life. Understand, secondly, the joy of God. Verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is Jesus is again saying, here's why I'm saying all these things to you. I've got joy in me, and I want my joy to be in you. And oh, by the way, in case you don't know the reality of that, if my joy is in you, then your joy is going to be not just like a little bit, but your joy is going to be full. Amazing. Now, as I was working on this message, I had what I felt was just a lovely illustration of this reality. I was sitting over there in my wee study around the corner there, and out of nowhere, I hear this lady's voice, and she was just so excited. She was rejoicing. She was celebrating. She was pouring out words of commendation. Well done. You're doing it. Keep going. You're doing awesome. That's brilliant. I'm so proud of you. Keep on. Keep on. 
And I looked up, right, from my little desk, and down that driveway, right there where you can see, was this little girl uh, on a little bike with, like, this beaming smile and with complete focus and determination as she was clearly, for the very first time, cycling on only two wheels with no stabilizers. And she was loving it, and she was focused and concentrated, and her mom was trying to keep up with her. The analogy breaks down a little bit here, friends, but bear with me. She's running alongside, just so full of joy, and her joy was spilling over into the the love and the encouragement for her child. And in that, her child was full of joy and she was full of joy. It was this beautiful picture. And I felt like it was a picture of what Jesus is getting at here. Jesus wants us to know the joy of his life with him alongside us, with him as the source of that joy, making our joy full. And as we know that, friends, Love will spill out from our lives. That's what was happening. It was a beautiful picture of love. Love will spill out. You can't contain that joy. It spills out in love. Rooted in a shared joy, spilling over from mother to daughter. For us, spilling over the joy of the Son of God in our lives to those that we come into contact with. If you want to see the fruit of love grow in your life, know, first of all, the the, the love of God shared with you and then the joy of God in your life, the God who rejoices over you. Come to him again and again. Thirdly, as we seek for this fruit of love to grow, understand the self-sacrifice of God. Look at verse 12. Been thinking about this in these days, this last Holy Week, haven't we? This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So we're trying to receive with God's help these incomprehensible blessings of the love that God has for us. And in that, then we come to this commandment of God. We need to respond to this incredible call of Jesus. And he commands us in John 15 that in the same way that he loves us, so we are to love others. And he makes clear the the nature and the, the scope of that love. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And of course, that's what Jesus was about to do that very night, to lay down His life is what we were thinking about here on Friday, the Good Friday service. Now, this little expression, Jesus laying down his life, is particular to John. No other writer in the New Testament uses this little expression. You might remember Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And John mentions it a number of times in his letters as well. And it's quite a stark phrase, really. It speaks of a certain robbing yourself of something. And and what this is getting at here is that in, in loving us like this, Jesus is robbing himself of his majesty, of his divinity, of his dig- sorry, not of his divinity. I read that wrong. Jesus did not rob himself of his divinity. <laughs> you should take me down off this stage if that was where I was landing. No, Jesus robbed himself of his dignity as he poured out his life on the cross. He robbed himself of his very life for all of us who are not at all worthy of that love. And it's this type of love that John commands us to have. Here's the point. 
Christian love is not mainly about duty. It's not mainly about obligation or having to do something. This is a command of God, but it's rooted in this sacrificial giving love of Jesus. It's about surrender. It's about sacrifice. It's about giving to others from what we once thought was ours. Sharing. I was challenged by this again when I was preparing for this message. Um, when you're a when you're a pastor, <laughs> it's kind of important, important that you try to be loving, right? That's, that's pretty high up the, uh, the list of job requirements. And truthfully, sometimes in my sin and fallenness, that can end up becoming something of a transactional thing. And you can, you can begin to think of certain scenarios and situations as, okay, what do I need to do here <laughs> to be loving? What do I need to do here to show care and and on my good days, God gives me the grace to do that with a heart full of love. And on my other days, it can be more challenging. And I was just so struck by this verse because I realized that there was a situation in my life these last few weeks and I had not been giving of myself. I had not been surrendering myself. I had not been laying down my life. And God said, Martin, just remember what love is. Love is not duty. Love is not a certain set of tasks devoid of my heart for these people that you're ministering to. Love is to to see how I have loved them. I gave my life for them. And this is what I'm calling you into. And that's true not just for pastors, obviously. It's true for every single one of us. So here's my question. Who do you need to lay down your life for this week? I really want to ask you just for the spirit just to bring one name to mind. Listen to what C.S. Lewis wrote. It is easier to be enthusiastic about humanity with a capital H than it is to love individual men and women, especially those who are uninteresting, exasperating, depraved, or otherwise unattractive. Listen to this. Loving everybody in general may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. We, we all know the Sunday school answers, right? Do, should we be loving this week? Yes. But it's harder to consider the specifics. Who is God calling you to lay down your life for? It's as we understand that this is how God loved us, that we will see this grow in our lives. So how does this fruit go in our lives as we understand the love of God, the joy of God, the self-sacrifice of God? Fourthly and penultimately, I believe Colin Ross was making fun of me a few weeks ago for using the word penultimately. Well, here we are on the penultimate point. We need to understand the friendship of God. Verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, than someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. You're speaking of knowing the the right answer that kids would know. Um, And here's another experience that can stick with us from childhood, is the question of who will be, or maybe also who will not be, our friend. 
I, I don't know if you can remember perhaps asking someone in that place of vulnerability that children know, will you be my friend? I can remember saying that. I have a couple of scenarios in my mind, just pictures of moments where I would ask that or something like that. Or maybe giving someone a hug and saying, you're my best friend. Or maybe falling out with someone and saying, you're not my friend. Sorry, Mark, I was looking right at Mark when I said that. You're not my friend anymore. Mark, you're my friend. This is a serious business when you're a child, right? Who's our friend? Who's not our friend? Who's our best friend? Who's our bestest best friend? And of course, it's not just kids that have to deal with these things. These issues run deep. To know deep and precious friendship is a beautiful thing. And conversely, I'm sure that we can all realize and remember times when we've known the pain of rejection. Someone we thought was our friend and acted in a horrible way to us or something like that. With that context, is there a more precious reality than John 15, verse 4? I think you read the Bible, you're right. This is my favorite verse. No, this is my favorite verse. No, this is the most awesome thing. And here you are, John 15, verse 14. Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants. I have called you friends. You are my friends. He says in verse 15, the creator of the universe, the alpha and the omega, the king of kings is our friend. Wow understanding and embracing that reality enables love to grow in our lives because again you can't contain that measure of kindness you can't keep to yourself the blessing of knowing friendship with almighty God it has to spill out do you know that God looks upon you as friend one of the things that we will celebrate tomorrow about the life of Connie Cameron is that she knew Jesus was her friend She spoke very naturally about her friendship with Jesus. I once saw her go and sit just about where Vanessa is just now. She sat next to someone and said, who was visiting the church, she said, Hi, my name's Connie and I love the Lord. And that was the way Connie would speak. Or she would be wrestling with many challenges and many difficulties, which she did have over many years of her life. But she would just say, "I, I, I don't know, but all I know is Jesus has been so kind to me. She knew the friendship of Jesus. Do you? As we do, love grows in our lives. The final thing then for us to understand as we seek for this fruit of love to grow in our lives is the commissioning of God. Verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Jesus chose his followers. He picks them out. Uh, and those followers of Jesus are not just chosen for any old thing, but they are appointed by God to go and bear fruit. All these things that we have been considering over these weeks, not least to show this fruit of love. And as Jesus commissioned his followers like that, so we are caught up in that command. So God calls us to to, uh, bear fruit in our day-to-day lives from this afternoon onwards here in Aberdeen. And for that, look 
for that fruit of love to be, as it says towards the end of verse 16, for it to abide, not just a passing thing, but for it to be strong and lasting and for that fruit to be miraculous, only what God could accomplish, aligned with the will of the Father through the powerful name of Jesus. That's what Jesus is getting at there in verse 16. Isn't it amazing, friends? That in the unfolding cosmic story of God's love poured out on this world, that he has chosen us to play a role in that story here in Aberdeen, in Scotland, and indeed to the ends of the earth in 2022. Yes, of course, not alone, not disconnected from the wider body of Christ, but, but he's got a job for us to do. As part of that, here in Hillview Community Church, specific work, specific fruit, specific blessing blessing to bring through you and through me, through all of us together. It's, an, it's a wonderful reality. That should thrill us and fire us up. Say, God, what are you calling us to in these next months and years? What risks do we need to take? What ministries need to grow and be established and multiply for your sake? Love it. God has appointed you for his work. What are you doing in that calling? Are you responding? Are you playing a part? So how do we do all of this? Yes, we need to obey the command of Jesus. Verse 17 is clear, right? It's not an optional add-on. These things I command you so that you will love one another. But friends, the whole point of John chapter 15 is the whole point indeed also of Paul's language of the fruit of the Spirit is that mere effort in our own strength is not how we follow these commands. We need to stay rooted in Jesus. We need to abide in him, remain in his love. And this fruit of love and others will grow. Oranges don't grow because they're trying really hard to grow. They grow because they're intimately connected to and coming forth from the life of the orange tree. And it's the same for us, this fruit of Christ-likeness that we are called to show daily in our lives. It doesn't happen because we try really hard in our own strength. It happens to the degree that we are intimately connected to and springing from the life of Jesus the true vine. So on this Resurrection Sunday, Jesus would ask us, as he asked Peter, do you love me? Are you abiding in my love? May we keep rooted in him. And in that, may his fruit and this fruit of love burst forth from our lives to those around about us in Aberdeen and beyond. Let's pray. What a God you are. We're so thankful for your love for us. We're so thankful for your joy in us. We're so thankful that you laid down your life for us. We're so thankful that we can call you our friend. We're so thankful that you've called us into your work. God, help us rest in that. Help us rest in you. Help us be able to say, when you say to us, do you love me? Help us be able to say, yes, Jesus friend, my savior, my lord, my king. I love you. And then help us hear your voice as you lead us forward.
Use us, we pray, God, for the extension of your kingdom. Show us what we are called to do. Lead us on as we stay rooted in Jesus, I pray. In his name we ask these things. Amen.